Hello and welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast. I'm not sure our political views will be tolerated down in Dixie. It's episode number 260. Yeah, you try and find a fucking rhyme for 60. Um, It's another week in the never-ending story of Stoke, why God, why? Um, And understandably, uh, Chris and Tony... You know, I think I think it might have killed them, but last we heard, they're all right. So uh, for today, you've just got myself, David Carlshaw, and Tom Thrower. How are you, Tom? Yes. What a week of football. Yes. Um, <laughs> dear God. Um, I mean, I think the tweet of the week was Joe Barbieri saying, do you think Ukrainians are looking at Stoke Twitter for some perspective? And... Um, Obviously, that was a joke, a little joke there from Joseph. But um, two defeats, two two-one defeats. A game that I went to, well, we both went to on a Wednesday night against Luton, and we'll, we'll come on to the sort of the Lutonness of it all, in which Stoke were absolutely diabolical, and then a game against Bournemouth where we weren't that diabolical. But the ref was, and we've lost two on the bounce. We are, what, are we 15th? 15th. Fuck's sake. <laughs> um, and yes, and the O'Neill out voices are, I'd say they're quite prominent right now. Um, Tom, if you want to get your Nathan Jones gloating out of the way. I mean, my Nathan Jones gloating actually really sort of slides into a lot of the thoughts on um, O'Neill really because I at the time felt we were wrong to sack Nathan Jones and probably was wrong about that but equally feel I'm very very vindicated and right about um, the fact that he's still a really good manager I got a message from my ex uh, roommate, uh, roommate ex flatmate uh, who is a Villa fan saying I bet you're loving it tonight and I replied with the most painful vindication I've ever suffered in my life um, <laughs> because my god Nathan Jones had our pants down and I didn't enjoy it it's the only time Nathan Jones has had my pants down and I've not enjoyed it <laughs> um, yes now, there was a lot of things that we didn't do right in the Luton game. And I don't know. I don't know about you, but I thought performance-wise recently, we'd not been that bad. But that this was the real stinker. This was arguably our worst display of the season. What caused that, outside of obviously Nathan Jones being brilliant and outflanking us, what caused that? Um I'd go further than what you've just said and say our performances actually since we switched to this 4-3-3 that we were playing were really good. Um, and even when the results haven't quite been perfect, the performances have been pretty good. Um, basically, I felt on Wednesday that there was a lot of uh, lack of confidence in the team, especially in the second half, that, and it's not entirely the reason for this, but I felt it was sort of triggered... The 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 Franz Ferdinand shooting, if you will, of the Luton Jones massacre. The Luton Jones, the Luton Jones massacre was um, the fans 
being very, very unreceptive to the style of football we're playing and mistakes being made by certain players. I think I tweeted about a specific example of Tyrese Campbell winning a header in about the 50th minute. Uh, and the reaction to that was jeers as if a referee had finally given us a foul, which even if you think Campbell's having a bad game, I found genuinely hard to, to hard to watch. This is a player who's been our best player, um, probably minus his injury in the past sort of year of football. Um, and he's getting treated as if he's sort of some punchline of a joke. I know we sort of briefly touched on it and I don't really want to be seen as battering the fans because ultimately the performance wasn't good enough and, and there was some criticism to be had. But it was a very, very, very toxic evening. And I think the fact that it was Jones doing is over, there was some poetic justice slash irony to that. Um, and then I think as well, we, we have a squad who are quite mentally weak. I think when you've conceded, I don't know, I saw so many numbers being thrown around after the game at the weekend. Is it 28 points we've lost from winning positions? It's, or? Bet- it's between 23 and 28, it's somewhere in there. Dr. Matt said that it was 23 games we've been leading in and we've only won 12 and I trust him. So let's run with that one. Um, I think that desperately suggests a mental weakness within both playing staff and management staff and that that, that, that is a major issue that ultimately if we want to be doing what we want to be doing, you can't do that. If you have all those points that we've talked about, we are... Never mind in the automatic places, we're challenging Fulham for first, who have been a ridiculous team and just go from strength to strength. So, yeah, we need to stop losing games. And I think that Luton one was probably the first game we've had for a long time under Jones, where we just capitulated, under O'Neill, sorry, where we just totally capitulated. And they came out in the second half with very much a plan to frustrate us and we just couldn't cope with it. Yeah. Um, I th- yeah, I think I looked at sort of transfer marks, which might, might not be the most reliable source, but whilst the Bournemouth game was like drawing to a conclusion, I looked at it and only Barnsley and Bristol City, I want to say, had a worse kind of throwing away points record than us, but in fewer games. So they'd not thrown as many points away overall, but certainly sort of points thrown away per game, we were right down there. Um, and I, I agree, I think it's... Um, Perhaps a, a bit of a mental weakness, but it, I look at the archi- the archetype. One of those being Cardiff, three 0 up, cruising, and then just utterly falling apart. Um, but we followed that up with three wins on the bounce. We sort of had a reaction to that. And what I do give O'Neill credit for, sort of longer term, is that he has managed to sort of break us out of cycles of defeats. Like that was the thing that Jones wasn't able to do as manager. He well, you know even in games we were perhaps unlucky and, you know, Butland would throw it in the net or whatever, like he he couldn't sort of use, use the fact we're unlucky to sort of galvanise us. Now, arguably you could say like up until we get a bollocks red card, like O'Neill was kind of doing that again. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I was incredibly disheartened by the team selection. I thought he's, he's come here to try and get a, scabby point and it wasn't very inspiring Uh, I don't know why I changed goalkeepers really Um, 
But but yeah, you can say you can say it's referees and you can sort of point to maybe the good first half we had or whatever. The the results once again aren't good enough and our season is over in February once again. And it, it's almost I'm getting to the stage with O'Neill now that I did get to with Jones, but just over a longer period of time where it's yes, it's all well and good like pointing out individual mistakes and individual bits of bad luck. And God knows O'Neill's had a massive slice of bad luck, like injuries alone. But even then, like it's still so, so disappointing to be here already that I think even teams with like just one or two more points with us, they feel like they could challenge for the playoffs. And we, I don't, this team doesn't feel like it can. So I feel another, another thing to, to heap on to the, O'Neill criticism and it is just a criticism I don't I don't I, I genuinely don't know where I am with O'Neill um I've had a lot of thinking over the weekend about it is the reaction to those misfortunes is is overwhelmingly negative so even that I I thought actually the first until the red card we were really good against Bournemouth and I had exactly the same feelings as you I sort of said fuck I can't believe I've been defending this bloke quite strongly over the past two weeks um, and then he throws out this team, which is basically just eight, eight predominantly defensive players and uh, nine predominantly defensive players, and then Nick Powell and Jacob Brown to run around a lot. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was working against Bournemouth. It was frustrating them. We were we were looking good, and the red card's the red card. But at the end of the day, we're fifteenth, and that's the thing that you look at all of those pieces of bad luck and you think fucking hell they can't actually just be the reason we're 15th otherwise no team of our stature would do very well in the championship at all and when O'Neill seems to sort of every bad performance it's not necessarily like scrapping the plan but moving to another one that just reeks of what went wrong with Jones Mm. and O'Neill's had the time, had more time than many managers get at the minute. That ultimately the, the managers are lucky to get more than a season, even if they're doing quite well at any club. And do, do do any of us know like what the grand plan is? We aren't pragmatic. We don't seem to change how we play to deal with the opposition, or at least that doesn't get carried out on the pitch. We don't have a specific idea of how we want to play football. I don't know what I like. I, yeah, I'm so um, lost. Yeah. And, and it's not the Bournemouth result because the Bournemouth result was unlucky and was very plucky and fighty and what most of us probably want to see out of our side. Um, but it's just where we are. Yeah. Now, we've but we've had... Issues, I think we've argued in the past that um, we've been mentally weak, but this is like a whole, almost a whole new Stoke team. This is a third or fourth iteration of a Stoke team in the championship, as far as I can see. So I'm not even sure it's like there's just a, a rotten thing in the dressing room because we've had several different groups of players in. Okay, maybe there's been one or two players who've crossed over in that time, but... Um, so I'm thinking that's probably on the manager to some degree, the the fact that we aren't able to see a game out. Like, even with 
10 minutes to go, I had no confidence we'd we'd hold on to that win. Now, that is harsh, given we had 10 men against a, a good championship team, but I, I still didn't have much faith. And like... The, like I know it's the pessimistic mindset of a football fan, but even when we scored that penalty against Forest, I thought there's still there's still time for us to get done here. And what we praised O'Neill for in the early stage of the season when things were going well was his game management. Like, but recently that is just gone. Like I'm I'm just I'm just wondering what it is he now offers. Like Initially, he he sort of galvanised the dressing room a bit and sort of played a sensible system and allowed our best players to flourish in that system. It's quite make counter attacking at times, quite used pace relatively well, um, and like I could see what he was trying to do at the start of this season with the wing backs and the the back three, and I thought, oh, this this is actually showing a lot of promise. When when that got difficult, he switched to. Um, back four in that Huddersfield game made a huge difference just in the in the course of that game and sort of you thought right this could kick us on a bit we've got some actual wingers now we've got some exciting forward players so you know what we'll go for it this time but again even though I think personnel wise we've improved our back line's probably better with Jagielka and Harwood Bellis in it uh, Baker's like in essence improved our midfield Powell's back um but even with that, we've still got the "oh God, please no, please don't hurt us" thing. We we don't have any kind of swagger at all. We don't have any kind of sense of we're gonna take charge of this, which is really really disappointing. We we I'm I'm struggling to see what O'Neill gives us, given now he's got a good squad, and I know it's only been a few games with this sort of relatively new team, I'm struggling to see how he improves us next season even. I'm struggling to see how we do become a top 10 side if we're going to continually, not just over the course of games, but over the course of seasons, throw away things from good positions. I think that... Ultimately, O'Neill's strongest credits don't necessarily come from his role as a modern manager. So mm. his transfer business seems to have been excellent, I'd say, from the outside looking in, although our lack of accountability for and transparency for off-pitch football matters is like woeful. Um, he seems to have made quite a significant impact in terms of the structure of the club and how things work but yeah ultimately i'm i've always found him rather lackluster tactically in the sense of he just seems to be like love doing really weird things for no particular reason so specifically when we've been playing a back four with him he tends to want to throw an extra center back in normally at right back mm. but then doesn't ask them to play like a modern half centre-back, half full-back, like you see um, uh, Tommy Ashew at Arsenal is a perfect example of someone who does that. He sort of isn't bombing forward very often, but finds nice spaces on the pitch to help the team move the ball forward. Seems to be asking Ben Wilmot, or before Ben Wilmot, it was Nathan Collins, to play like a, like a normal wing-back, but they're a centre-back, and you have a right-back sat on the bench. Um, 
it's just weird little things like that and like the the Bournemouth game we go into that game with Jordan Thompson and Lewis Baker playing as the like eight tens that we're supposed to have in in a in a three five two earlier in the season that was Nick Powell and Mario Vrancic like why is it suddenly two people who we've previously used as holding midfielders being asked to play what is a predominantly playmaking creative role and I get I don't know I'm just so lost with it all it's 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 the Bournemouth game it's hard because I don't want to criticize it because I thought we were good and then the red card wasn't really a red card and we were desperately unlucky as we seem to have have had with the refs this year but at the end of the day, we're 15th and that's moving backwards. And I think the the, the level we all sort of set with O'Neill eventually come like, let's say October after we'd had an, a good start up was let's just make sure we're still in the conversation at the end of the season. None of us expect playoffs. None of us even expect top half. Just let's make sure that we aren't totally signed out of the playoff race until the end of April or with three games to go or something like that. I don't think we're being demanding in, 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 in suggesting that. And ultimately O'Neill's failed on that. I think there's a bigger discussion that there has been some talk about on timeline and on Twitter and wherever you get your news about does changing a manager help any of this, which is separate to criticism of O'Neill, um, which I'm sure we could talk about. Yeah. Um, well, I should mention at this point there is a cracking blog out there from our friend Dr. Matt Swift. It's sort of outlining quite succinctly and quite nicely sort of where we went wrong sort of from relegation onwards. And it's it's kind of like, yes, we can pinpoint individual managers and um, individual signings perhaps, but ultimately this has kind of been a a failure of accountability, I would say, on, on the part of the ownership. Now, of course, Tony Scholes is out the door, I guess, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm not reassured by John Coates. Um, I know he's, he's made the right noises in recent fan council meetings and stuff. Um, but I don't know that our recruitment in terms of managers was altogether joined up. Um, certainly, Rowett is the big, the big one. Um, Jones and O'Neill, they're kind of mid-season, not panic panic appointments would be harsh, but they're mid-season appointments where they've got a specific situation to get us out of. Um, but I, I don't see that we are showing much ambition, and I know there's the financial fair play aspects. Uh, that could limit that but everything that comes from the club just strikes me as we are sort of bedded in for seasons in the championship where it's been like oh that first season down that was our chance and we blew it oh well um and so, so there was a sort of tangential discussion that a few people were having and it sort of tied in to talk about sort of the area in general but kind of not being an ambitious area and kind of not expecting or demanding good enough things and just kind of accepting our lot or knowing our place as a, as a, as a people, I guess. Um, and that might be sort of transposing sport into society a bit too much, 
but it kind of it did kind of make a lot of sense to me. There will be people who will be happy to stick with O'Neill just because they don't want to upset the apple cart. And like, I, I, I'm, I'm not even like, I'm not, I'm not hugely banging the drum for O'Neill out. I'm not saying like, oh, get rid, get rid now. Let's get Bielsa in. What I am saying is like, we always kind of are so hesitant to demand from this club, perhaps because of the, what Peter Coates did in the first place in taking us up. But there seems to be almost like, well, we had the Premier League years. Those are good days. That's it. We'll just plug on by the championship. Well, wh- why? Why? This this league's mental. This league, this league this season, Fulham aside, is utter piss. And like that, that's what's really grinding my gears about the fact we're out of the playoff contention is the teams above us aren't that good. And we could have easily put a run together, but for several reasons, some of which you could lay the blame at O'Neill, some of which you could lay the blame at referees, injuries, individual mistakes, mentality, all these things, they just smack of a club that's it's got no attitude about it. It's it's like I think part of the reason you get these yo-yo teams, you get the likes of Norwich and Fulham, is they go down, they say, all right, fuck it, we're going for Marco Silva. We're going for a top Dean Smith. We're going for a sort of higher level, sort of really well-known managers. And we're going to buy players with aspirations of them playing in the Premier League for us. If we got to promote to the Premier League tomorrow, I don't know if any of our squad would be... Premier League ready, and that might be harsh, but teams going for promotion by players in the expectation of the, this is a Premier League quality player in the Championship. We we went down and spent millions of pounds on Championship quality players who would do us a job. Um, and and so, so, so there's a lot of rambly, sort of vaguely dispersed points in there, but I think the thing I'm going to keep coming back to is ambition. I mean, the one and only time I think this club mentioned ambition was uh, when we sold Marko Anatovic and brought in a absolute rapper on loan. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit hacked off. I'm hacked off because I thought we'd see more progress than we have. I think it, it it all comes down to such a disjointed approach. I don't know if that's the right word. I'm going to stick with it. Disjointed approach um, to, I don't know, pretty much everything at the club. So the reason a Fulham, a Norwich, uh, uh, Brentford can change managers, can be ambitious with who they're trying to bring in, with players they're trying to sign, is because they have a, a general idea of, of what their football club needs to deliver that isn't tied down to any single individual that is set out and clear and everyone they recruit is in relation to that idea. So when they change a manager, it's not like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's just, let's try this person who might have these slightly different ideas, but ultimately that's not, a fundamental change of approach. Whereas like the difference between Jones and O'Neill, even though Jones, even looking at Jones at Luton in his second time there 
and how much he's learned clearly from his experience of Stoke and he's a lot more flexible and, and, and isn't so wedded to the diamond is chalk and cheese. They are totally different managers. The difference between Gary Rower and Nathan Jones is chalk and cheese. The difference between Gary Rower and Michael O'Neill is chalk and cheese. The difference between Mark Hughes and Tony Pulis was pretty chalk and cheese. The difference between Lambert, there's no coherent approach and there's no coherent approach in recruitment. James McLean is entirely separate of a winger to Jaden Philogene Bedace. One was signed from a Premier League club who were just about staying there for a lot of money. One was loaned from a Premier League club and that speaks to our financial problems. So there's no there's no coherency. So this is, I think, why people are quite justifiably concerned that, that replacing O'Neill, whilst not saying O'Neill's currently delivering, is really significantly problematic. And it's just a roll of dice. We're probably what on a three at the minute and we're playing an idea of, well, maybe we could roll a five or a six. Yeah. Well, maybe we could roll a one and we could be two seasons back. And I'm not saying that to defend O'Neill because it's a separate point, mm. but equally it's random things as well. Like one thing that it's just, this is such a bony point. One thing that really annoys me is we, we quite heavily advertise a beer brewed by Marston's that you can't buy at the ground. We like quite, Every game, it's it's always advertised. And you... Six, sixty-one deep is yeah. a product of the imagination. I think I don't think of. I don't think I, it well, I've only ever drunk it at cricket, but it, it, it doesn't like. Does that not seem disjointed to anyone? Does it's not that like? like hang on, maybe. Um, and this is where we are, and we seem to be. I don't know. Maybe they have changed it. Andy Cousins has been appointed as director of football or whatever role you want to see. And this is the thing I think I said on here that actually I was a bit excited because results were okay. Things were looking good for Stoke and uh, Skulls is gone. And we've now actually got a really exciting ability to appoint someone who might have different ideas. Oh no, actually what we're going to do is all the people who currently work for the club are going to take on more responsibility and that's going to make up for Skulls leaving. So well done, Stoke. Massive amount of ambition to have new ideas in and challenge the fact that we run a club worse than League Two teams, um, both in terms of commercially and in terms of on-the-pitch attitude. I don't know, I'm just moaning. We, no, no, I think, I think your point, I was, just, I was just thinking that we have got the kind of sort of structure of a Power League five-a-side team, like just... Texting around, oh, do, has, has, someone, has someone collected all the subs? In, uh, you know, has, is anyone going to bring the bibs? Oh no, uh, Tony can do that. Oh, to, oh Tony's, oh, Tony can't make it today. He's hungover. So, uh, okay, we'll uh, we'll get we'll get John. John will sort everything out, and John will do the the kits and the and the bibs and sorting out who we're playing against. And is it is it nine o'clock and nine thirty? And um, just all those sort of like really measly little kind of hungover Sunday morning WhatsApp conversations you have with your five-a-side team. It's that. It's not, it's got no kind of air of profession, professionalism at all. It's, it's kind of just all kind of cobbled together and, oh, John John will fill in on that. And uh, I'm sure Michael won't mind if if we do that. And, uh, oh, you want some players? Oh, we'll just have have some loans. You know, we'll, we'll get some loans to come in for a bit. Like, we wasted the end of last season with Jab, um, Chubby, <laughs> Rabbi Matondo, and Jack Clark. Um, like, and we're in exactly the same position this season, but with yeah. defenders. Yeah. Like our entire back three and captain from the game on who started the team against Bournemouth are not under contract to play for Stoke come July this year. 
<sighs> yeah. So uh, uh, even even people who think like criticism of the Coates family is beyond the pale and yeah there's definitely arguments in favor of them they're better than i don't know a russian oligarch who's bank bankrolling war crimes yeah okay well done on not being the worst people on earth people who think criticism is them to be on the belt when was the last time the club did anything inventive or groundbreaking or because they definitely do great things the away travel scheme's great keeping season ticket prices despite being very much linked to the, the fact the same, that it's the, the, the football club but, in the most deprived area in the country. But our fo- uh, sorry, our fucking carrots are like, think shit we were doing 15 years ago. Yeah, we, the, and we, this we, is my point. We, we, the, these things have been in place for decades. And it's, and it's, all, and it's all like, oh, we, we must be thankful. We must be thankful for um, the same... Yes, fine. It's good that they haven't put up season ticket prices. Um if because what I, I think is also they partly can't because they can't. Yeah, they can't. If, if, they no up, if, if they put it up by if even a fiver, people would be like, no, dear, 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 it's a sign of the times. How disappointing. <laughs> but they but that would be the case, wouldn't it? Like they they're kind of almost if one, person, if one person replies saying, Oh, well, they gave everyone their money back because of COVID. Yes, because they're contractually obliged to make you not Obligate. pay for things you don't see. Yeah, it's and like I'm not here for a moment going to say, well, we should charge everyone hundred pound a year more. Of course, I'm fucking not. But it's it's like, can we show like a bit more kind of like? It doesn't even have to be like, oh, I want a free beer at the match, please. Um, I I want like just some sense of right. With we're sort we're sorting everything out top to bottom. We're gonna make the we're gonna make match day more fun and accessible. We're gonna make the team more fun and have some joined up thinking with who we who we recruit, both player and manager wise. But it's not. It's all just kind of it's reactive again, again, again. It's like. Oh, this isn't working. We'll get some loans in. This manager isn't working. We'll get another totally unrelated manager in who will have to work with the previous manager's squad. And he needs a year to sort that out. And then he needs another year to kind of get settled. And then, oh, we need another year. And oh, no, we're still 15th. Oh, right. Shit. Um, um, free away travel. No, I think, do we even get rid of the free away travel? Uh, yeah, no, I think it's still here for now. But uh, it, 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 nothing really sums it up more than the fact that us falling from ninth place in the Premier League to being relegated out of the Premier League um, and then having to sack the manager we appointed to take us back to the Premier League all within the space of 30 months, which is two and a half years for the non-immigration lawyers listening to the podcast, um, was basically explained away with, yeah, we're going to going to release a statement we're really sorry we've made mistakes but hindsight's great and at the time we didn't think they were mistakes so let's plow on let's carry on we're yeah gonna carry on yeah and even like oh well we've got more sort of younger players playing for us now that was a fucking consequence of the fucking ridiculous system in the first place where we got so many fucking injuries that we had to play Suter and Collins and all the rest of it oh we accidentally unearthed a gem and so naturally that means he has to be sold um and like, oh, the young players we do stick with are end up being scapegoated and called lazy by fucking bellends. Um, so I, I, I started quite somber. Now I'm just really fucking angry again. Like, 
yes, it could be worse. Yes, I know we're not Derby, but for fuck's sake, this is what this is what I mean. It's like every time there's a criticism, people moan that the you know things could be worse. Know your place, little old Stoke. You know we were very lucky. Um, how many how many managers and players have to be sacrificed on the pyre of Stoke City before like we realise that maybe it isn't the manager and not say it's not the manager's fault but maybe the managers and even players are working in an environment that pretty much is determined to tie both of their legs together both of their hands together and say you're all right go on there beat Man City like Jones and this is the gloating point that I'm I can't even gloat about anymore because he is clearly much happier much healthier and I'm just really upset that that isn't with us Nathan Jones is clearly an exceptional manager he has got a Luton squad that is pretty much filled with League One players to sixth place in the championship and they are on a roll where they are eating up teams like us who are supposed to be really good why did Nathan Jones have to be totally sacrificed because clearly he isn't incompetent there was there was clearly things that were too big for him to take on that made him wrong for the job in the first place and I think that all comes down to this idea that as a football club we're we're constructed around a manager like that's a mess that just means that everything is going to go wrong unless you're sacking people off when you think things have just become a bit stagnant. But we we haven't been in that position for what, eight years since we got rid of Pulis. Mm. We're like the, the, the last days of the fucking Ottoman Empire. We're just like sort of lurching the sick man of Europe. Just kind <laughs> of like... Sick man uh, of the championship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, we're just kind of like hoping that the new leader will sort everything out when in fact no the problem is much more systemic and much more cultural than as simply who with the manager that's in charge and um again like i might even have to slightly no i'm not i'm not going to do row revisionism i'm still not no i can't stand it <laughs> but uh but just well no but even with route revisionism i don't think you have to be revisionist to say that it's not Gary Rowett's fault he was given the war chest to end all war chests for the championship and spent it on players who he'd been watching on Sky Sports because basically it seems like as a manager, that's all he does. He turns on quest highlights and he sees who scores goals and that's who he signed for us. Mm. And I'm not saying that isn't his fault he was a prick he was a useless manager he made the top he added to the toxicity of the club and I think has potentially left lingering elements of it all the way through to now but yeah and but 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 the same thing happened with Jones Jones was given a cash load of money and he signed players who weren't worth the cash that he spent on them and it's only now that O'Neill's come in and sort of seems to have addressed the recruitment issue and had basically hired a new department in the summer. Don't know if everyone saw, but we were advertising for analysts, both um, recruitment analysts and performance analysts. Don't know how many of them we had. Can't speak on anything like that because again, we're about as transparent as a muddy puddle. Um, These managers are being set up to fail time and time again. And yeah, the failure is their fault, but it's not going to change. And I don't think it ever will change with the Coates family because I genuinely think they just seem to want a really cushy time 
where they can hire people that they like and people who aren't going to really push them, people who aren't going to challenge ideas. And uh, yeah, fine. All well and good for us to sit in the championship for another 20 years. Mm. Crack in, crack now, on. Now, we look at the managers in this league and beyond that who have been successful. Um, I'm thinking Brentford. I'm thinking, well, Jones and Luton. I'm thinking... Um, I know even someone like relatively like Chris Wilder, good another good example. They built their clubs in their image, or the or well rather, the club was built around them. Okay, they had they had the structure to be able to go into that that squad, and even in some cases with much less resources than us, they were sort of like right. I'm going to do it this way, and here's my five year plan. I don't, don't know if they have a five-year plan. I don't know if that's just maybe business speak or whatever, but they seem like they have a long-term strategy, a short-term strategy, and a mid-term strategy. And obviously there's varying levels of, of success at various clubs. And But like even in the case of Fulham, who Marco Silva's only been there since the start of the season, right? Like he's just, he's just gone in there and been like, right, I've got a really good squad. I know I'm going to make, make him play. Bish, bash, bosh, here we go. And then, yes, I know, Fulham squad is better than ours. But Nathan Jones, he's he has a disastrous year with us. Uh, he gets his chance again. And, like, but his long-term work is already there for him to come back to. The, the club is very much was still in his image even when he wasn't there. Um, if uh, only- Sheffield United are an interesting example of that. So Wilder goes and they hire Kanovic, who is predominantly uh, 4-3-3, sort of quite possession heavy 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 oriented manager and they have a tough time where performances were all right but results were pretty shocking and then they bring in Heckingbottom who's moved them back to a 352 either with um, a pivot and two eight tens or a double pivot and a number 10 which is what Wilder played and they've lost like two games and suddenly gone flying up the table the only club who and Wilder had time in league two and league one no, Lee won, um, to build them up and, and and have that time to craft them as his club. But the clubs who are successful are Norwich, who it doesn't really matter who's in charge of them. They'll be playing relatively similar football with relatively similar players and it'll all be fine. Or Brentford, who pretty much just got rid of their manager and appointed the assistant manager because, well, we're Brentford and all we're going to do is keep recruiting like a monster. The only example of a club in the situation we're in now who appoint a new manager uh, and have massive success as a result solely of appointing that new manager is Leeds. And that's because they hired one of the greatest football managers to ever exist, who is also an old-fashioned manager and obsessed with football to the point where he happily lived in a flat above a shop because all he does is watch football videos and think about ways he could make the football club better, including turning up on his interview day with ordnance survey maps of the training ground, explaining why things were being done wrong in the training ground. Marcelo Bielsa doesn't exist. He doesn't exist in a sense of there isn't a Marcelo Bielsa school of managers anymore because they're gone. That's old. Arsene Wenger left, Tony Pudis left. People who crafted football clubs in minute detail don't exist anymore. So that's why Nathan Jones was set up to fail. He's never needed to do that apart from a very small club where pretty much the only job he has to worry about is who's going to play for us, how are we going to play? 
that's pretty much all managers think about anymore. And even that first point is increasingly being devolved away from a manager. And it's more, I'm your head of recruitment. Here's some players. I think you should sign A, B and C because they do uh, X, Y and Z in your squad. And that's what you're telling me you want to play. So we're in this position where we want to hire managers who can change everything at a club, who who can who can single-handedly drag us from mediocrity, pretty much not fighting for our lives in the championship, but not really doing much else, all the way back to the most fiercely competitive division in the league. And they just don't exist anymore. So that's where I stand. I think that 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 like Everton, look at Everton. Everton are the perfect example. I think they're on their third director of football who they've appointed after they've hired a manager. Mm. And they also have one of their healthiest spends in the Premier League because unsurprisingly, they keep getting directors of football in who are basically subservient to the manager and it keeps going wrong. And they end up with a squad like what we had like two years ago that's made of, of four different managers stuff and and is a mess whereas if you'd have given the money Everton spent on players to Brentford the money we've spent on players to Brentford they'd be like regularly challenging for Europe mm. and I don't know where on earth I'm going with this other than just being really angry at where we are at the minute yeah. it's but it's basically joined up thinking works not joined up thinking doesn't um I'm going to run through some questions quickly before we go. Lewis Adams says, if you could have one old manager back, who would it be? Well, I think we know Tom's answer. I genuinely wouldn't have any of our former managers back. I don't think a single one of them uh, I would be happy. Tony Waddington's ghost. I'd have Tony Waddington's ghost back. Um, E grade A says, our roster seems good. What gives? Uh, I mean, we've tried to discuss it the last 40 minutes. No satisfactory answers, I'm afraid. Um, uh, Rich says, "Why has God forsaken us? Because uh, we hurt his we hurt his profit." <laughs> waiting for that. Um, James says, "I'd like you to discuss why Red Dwarf is the greatest ever British sitcom." Spaced, uh, spaced is better than it. Uh, hot take. I'd also like you to discuss why the atmosphere is so toxic at Stoke, despite it being completely apathetic. Uh, Atmosphere-wise, when we actually do play well, um. We got spoiled by the Premier League and we are impatient in possession. We got we got we got hooked on Pulis ball, and so everything that isn't launching it forward kind of is anathema to a lot of fans, would be a very short way of putting Our it. I concrete guess. stadium is a soulless bowl that is pretty much only exciting when it's dark and we don't really play too many games when it's dark. Yeah, no one wants to fucking be there. That's the thing. Like mm-hmm. If it like like this is this is kind of why like shit about like improving the match experience. This is why this is why you do it. This 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 generally makes you feel better when you watch the football. If you're like, well, you know what, the game might not be great, but you know what, I've been here for two hours now and I've had a nice time. Like, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, da da da. Simon says, how will the fella sitting behind you blame Tyrese for the Bournemouth result? Lazy bastard didn't run, run, on, <laughs> didn't the pitch on, the pitch. run on the pitch and assault the ref. Um, <laughs> Lee says, what allocation do you think we'll get for Wembley? League one player final? Um, no. Um, no, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get 30,000 for our ball, ball draw, uh, our ball, ball one nil win over 
uh, I don't know, whatever team, because I don't know if anyone's watched the final tonight. It was the best game of football I've seen for a long time. Oh, that would be... Uh, that, I, I'm not, I'm not going to get hopes up. We're going to get battered by Palace. Never mind. Um, Alex says, when Marty travels back from 1955 to 1985, why did he not think to ask Doc about how his life is different so he wasn't as so confused as to why his dad was a famous author, car wasn't totaled, and the brother had an office job? Like, I'm not going to get into back to the future law. It's like trying to explain Doctor Who. Like the the time the time you spend thinking about it is ultimately not worth it. Who is better in the air, says Toby? Robert Hooter, the ghost of Kiev. <laughs> Go- <laughs> Um, ghost of Kiev. Um, Jordi of Suburbia says, How many games does our new manager get before the fan base turns on them too? Uh, four. Four. Four games. <laughs> yes, that sounds about right. Um, maybe just we Watford it. It's that works for Watford. Yeah, no, but there's another team who, well, apart from this season where they, their manager appointments have been sort of all over the shop, but yeah, they. All the points I made about the Brentfords and the Norwiches apply to Watford before this year. Mm. Andrew, will our next manager need an interpreter? Uh, no. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> oh, God. Obviously, it will never, ever happen. But I just thought about what if it did. <laughs> and I just want to cry. Um, George, where does the inconsistency and mentality issue come from? It's happened to too many sets of players and managers to be solely on them, surely. Yeah, we're just the sick man of the championship, George. What can I say? Um, we're rotten from the core. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Like, you know, it's um, it's been fun chatting, Tom. I feel like we've got... It's been cathartic. Yes. It's helped. Yes, I, I feel like I can go back to work in a slightly better frame of mind, having just bottled it all in uh, since the Bournemouth game. So, yeah, that's... I, I do I do have one thing, though. Mm-hmm. And we need to we need to, we need need to to play the Nathan Jones game, not guessing footballers, but the Nathan Jones game feeding someone to the hippos. Oh, yes, and of course. Who's going I, to the hippos paddock this I, week? I would like to propose the general concept of championship referees. Yes, referees into the paddock with you <laughs> as he tries to book the hippo pathetically screaming fuck yeah they're just they're awful they're not good are they they're, just, really... they're so bad like oh, players, trying... our players need all it nearly got bent backwards but then when our player just kicks the ball oh, and slides past someone God. that's rad I'm just there's oh, there's been so many just to mention, but like even like in the games where there's no like game defining thing they've missed, like they're just generally shit. And oh, they're God. not good blokes. You wouldn't go for a pint with any championship referee, would you? No, he'd he'd go to the wrong pub. He'd be like you know you know in Peep Show when Mark befriends the Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not saying that all championship refs are Nazis, just most of them. They do stick their arm in the air unnecessarily, though. Um, allegedly. Allegedly. Don't want to by the EFL. Oh, they're all wankers. Um, yes, terrible. Um, yes, so so in the paddock so far, we have Nadine Doris, the concept of the man behind you, and championship referees. That's a good paddock selection. Mm. So, yes, I think that's it from the Wizards of Dribble podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Um, 
I, yeah, like talking about football, especially like miserably talking about it as if it's really fucking important, seems very trivial uh, this week of all weeks. Um, uh, to our friend, he knows who he is, uh, love and solidarity with you. Uh, hope things get sorted where you are. Uh, and love and solidarity to everyone in Ukraine right now. Um, thank you very much for listening. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. And yeah, up up the Ukraines. Go on, Stoke.